0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Another wonderful episode ready for you all. And please don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there for the daily email, Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. East Coast time. I send you an email. It gives you what you need to know. Wink, W-Y-N-K, what you need to know. Uh, A few links, a few comments, some insight often. Uh, sets up your day. So please go to ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there for the daily email. Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. East Coast time, I send you an email. It gives you what you need to know. Wink, W-Y-N-K, what you need to know. Uh, A few links, a few comments, some insight often uh, sets up your day. So please go to ProAmericaReport.com and sign up for the wink. Today is what you need to know. The segment I opened the show with, what you need to know today is we have to revisit, visit again, the question of lawfare. Now, I, I spoke about this on the show yesterday, and I put out my uh, the segment of the show yesterday, and I put it out on social media. I know people listened to it and then checked it out, and I saw echoes of it. Now, I'm not saying I'm that insightful, but I am saying I tend to see things a little bit further ahead of other people, even if they see them at the same time or soon after. I guess it would be a better way to say it. And so I was commenting on how Kyle Rittenhouse, who is go- e- either is going to be acquitted... Or if he's convicted, it will be thrown out uh, uh, later because there's obviously no real serious factual basis for him being charged. It's a scandal that he was even charged. If you're watching the Rittenhouse trial, and I, I, let me be candid, I'm not watching all of it. I'm watching clips of it. I'm watching coverage of it. But here's what you need to know. Lawfare is not actually about fundamentally using the law To its legal conclusion, that's actually a benefit if it happens, meaning if this prosecutor Binger, I think his name is, who has clearly done a pretty terrible job and and really the terrible job is that he it's a scandal that he took this case uh, uh, to trial. But now he's made mistakes. He's, he's, um, he, Rittenhouse took the stand and he, the prosecutor actually brought up that Rittenhouse stayed silent after he was arrested. Well, that's constitutionally protected. You're not allowed to say that in front of the jury. You shouldn't say it anyway. But anyway, he's making all these mistakes, Binger. But Binger and the lawfare only means that one of the options is that you actually get the conviction. Because if you don't get the conviction, there's all kinds of other ways for lawfare to succeed. And I want to point you in the direction I see this heading. Right now, lawfare, for this to be a success of the left in destroying a young, what, somewhat conservative? I don't know. Is, is the guy, he's not even a voter. Rittenhouse is like 17 or 18. What is he? A, is he a conservative? Is he a MAGA guy? He looks like it. Is he a Second Amendment guy? He looks like it. But I don't even know much. All we know is that he's been vilified as a bad guy. But... At this point, only a couple things are the logical conclusions. And none of them are good for Rittenhouse. Let's be rosy first. Let's be the most optimistic. He's acquitted and he writes a book and he explains it and he goes on to have a quiet life. Well, you know, ask the Atlanta bomber, the guy Jewel, Richard Jewel, who was accused of causing this terrible uh, tragedy and then later was acquitted. Ask him how his life went. I don't think he killed himself, but he died of lots of suffering, had a miserable, you know, terrible life. I mean, God love him and regress his soul. Or I mean, pick up, pick someone who's completely innocent. And so Rittenhouse, the best, the rosiest scenario is he gets acquitted. The media leaves him alone. He writes a book about it or not and goes on and marries a nice girl and has 2.5 kids and is a, is a, uh, you know, as a truck mechanic or owns a small business or whatever. That's very unlikely. In this environment, the most likely scenarios are one of two and they run along the same course. At this point, conviction and sentencing to jail seem almost impossible. The the judge seems to understand things. The court of appeals would see the record. Even if this jury went out and voted to convict him and the judge said, well, here's the sentence, I don't think that can stand up. So what's what's the more likely scenario? And this is the scenario that lawfare counts on. Because if you can't convict and send the person to jail, well, here's the better path. Here's another path. And this is what's happening. Because lawfare destroys even if it doesn't convict. So what Binger has done, the prosecutor is forced the judge in the Wisconsin case to get involved to say, "What are you doing? Why are you saying that? You 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 asked to say that earlier and I told you in a ruling that you shouldn't say that. You know you're not supposed to say things about the constitutionally protected right to silence in open court. What are you doing?" And and the judge is getting madder and madder. And you know what's happening? The judge is being added to the list of people who must pay the price in this instance. So that judge is already being targeted. He's already being talked about. He's an older guy. He's probably in his late 60s, I think. He probably is getting close to retirement. I guarantee you he'll retire in the next year or so. And he's going to become, it's going to be his turn in the barrel, to quote Roger Stone, and he's going to be faced, and what they're going to say is, look, it's a white, bigoted old man who distorted the system, and Kyle Rittenhouse is really guilty. He just got cover from that guy. Just like General Flynn, he he got cover from a pardon. And the point here is, you don't actually, the better thing if you, instead of allowing Rittenhouse to have a life and admitting you made a mistake for the left, is to destroy everything around it and then say Rittenhouse is really guilty. Rittenhouse only got off he only got not convicted because of the corruption of the system and you get both in other words you are the corruption of the system that prosecutor is the corruption of the system that the prosecutor and his team is the corruption of the system and now they will say with a straight face but for the corruption of the system the judge and the others we would have got a conviction look at how bad this is and that's exactly where it's headed that this will be a mistrial, probably on prosecutorial misconduct, and then there will be foundations, and there will be nonprofits founded to fund the study of how Wisconsin, Wisconsin state judges are bigots and white supremacists, and how no one can get a fair and equitable deal out of them. That's what will happen. And you watch what the run to destroy everyone will continue, and they lump them all together. You remember how it, I mean, at this point, most people say that the Kavanaugh smears on Justice Kavanaugh. You know, the first woman, uh, whatever her name is, uh, Dr. Ford, seemed pathetic enough, at least in my estimation of her testimony. Then they had, <laughs> they had Michael, uh, the, uh, the, the lawyer who's now going to jail himself, the, the anti-Trump lawyer, uh, Avenatti. He, he produced some other crazy woman and another one or something. I don't know. There was two or three that were saying things that were so outside of the pale. People said, yeah, that's not going to fly. And Kavanaugh was confirmed. But now you don't actually have to go for the truth. You can just say the system is corrupt. You can say Kavanaugh was saved even though he was a violent offender. That's what they say. Just like Rittenhouse was saved by the system. The system which is oppressive. You see how you win either way? Lawfare either convicts and sends people away, targets them, or it destroys and destroys the system. And it's 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 an incredible uh, box that we're caught in. And we're watching it happen. Again, the problem right now is if you hate the system, if you hate America, if you believe the system is not worthy, which is what the left does, then you don't mind lying and putting on a fake case against an 18-year-old kid, which is what the prosecutor did to Rittenhouse. And when you can get a conviction, when you can force through a conviction... Then you take it and you crow and say, ha ha, we got the system to work. But when you actually don't really believe, because they don't believe in the system. They believe in, in power and manipulation. Then you say, well, if we can't get him convicted, we'll just take the system apart. And we'll blame the judge. We'll blame his family. We'll blame the community. We'll blame, we'll call everybody a white supremacist. And when it's done, Rittenhouse will spend his life, his life defined by the hate that these people brought. It's an unbelievable trap that we're stuck in that's happening to this country and we're watching it on TV because the Rittenhouse case is uh, broadcast. And the idea that more Americans aren't up in arms over this is, is, a, is a credit to the narrative machine which is spinning this and trying to make it not clear what's happening. And two, I believe it's part of the power of the powerlessness That example I told you where most people start to self-censor. They just stay back. I don't want to be involved in that. I don't want to be near that. It's ugly. People are really nasty. It's unpleasant. I don't want to get near that. That's how it feels. That's how it feels. It's a really dangerous time, and it's terrible stuff, and that's what lawfare is doing. All right, we got to take a break. When we come back, we got some great guests. Don't forget, please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com and sign up for the daily uh, emails uh, and uh, the updates every week, Monday through Friday, ProAmericaReport.com. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the ProAmerica Report. Be back in a minute. Welcome back, Ed Martin here in a Pro America Report. Time to check in with our old friend Mickey Kaus, and Mickey Kaus, of course, has got a Substack, a very lucrative Substack. It's Kaus.substack.com, and uh, also at Kaus Mickey, KausMickey, K A U S M I C K E Y on Twitter. Very entertaining Twitter. First of all, Mickey, being serious for a second, the, the, you, you've been, a, you were an early blogger. One of the, I, I mean, I, I, you tell me the history, but you were one of the earliest. Uh, at least political bloggers you've written books you've written essays you down new have a sub stack what's the state of of writing how's it what how's it working now
2: uh well it's it's hard to earn a living but if you're one of the sort of star sub stackers you you're in a, a very very good living like Matt Glacius on the left is making like four hundred thousand dollars a year so um and you know matt Taibbi and clinton greenwald who are sort of on the right so um it's possible if you're a star to make a lot of money, but for the the, the average sort of you know workman of journalism, yeah. aren't making that much money anymore, and it's hard to find a job. Uh, my main problem is that everybody's trying to get attention, by doing like flamboyant takes. And
1: right,
3: right, and,
2: uh, and and I think it's bad for discourse, and it's 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 infected the Congress. I mean, we see congressmen who used to just be backbenchers now they can be like you know, uh, hey, look at me, like I'm Marjorie Taylor Greene, I'm doing this, or I'm Paul Gosar, Gosar, I'm doing this, and it's not clear that that's healthy either.
1: Well, and and AOC, AOC, I mean, I I tell people, uh, you know, if you, you have one, if you're a freshman, Let's pretend there's going to be a hundred new uh, members of the Republican caucus next year. Let's just pretend because a bunch will retire, right? And there's a hundred. You get you have one vote that's meaningful. It's Speaker. After that, you're told to go back to your office, and and we'll, we'll give you your pin. You can go to the buffet. Except now you can you, now you can come up with an angle, and you could be on Fox News or CNBC uh, if you're on the right, and and uh, CNBC and MSNBC on the so. But sliding over to that, the model, the problem is the model of social media, right? I mean, the the print. Fell apart because the social media and, and in your Twitter feed again. We're talking Mickey cows. You mentioned a couple times in the last little while on on um, uh, Facebook, the power of Facebook. It's it's the social media that dominates the world in terms of where people go and and how agitated they need to be to come back again.
2: I guess that's right in cable news, but social media is how you get on cable news. I guess. Uh, and I, right. Yeah, I, you know, and I I like the fact that there's a diversity of voices, but. Um, this, this dynamic where you have to be crazier than the last guy in order to get attention is the problem? I mean, it, it is yeah. on the left with AOC and those people too, uh, uh, just as much. Uh, but um, it's it, it's just sort of, um, you know. It, and the problem is, you know, Kevin McCarthy thinks he's going to take over. And he probably is as Speaker of the House, but right. what does he stand for? Is he he stands for like keeping everybody happy and like not. Uh you know mm-hmm. you know like walking a fine line between the between the moderates and the he he doesn't seem like a strong leader who knows where he's going. What I worry about. Well, I mean, I mean
1: but, but, well, but OK, uh, yes, except let's just talk about speakers for a second speaker. Of the House is going to be um, wherever whoever, you know, uh, calls the tune. Right. I mean, so, you know, Pelosi, she's, she's whether she's strong or not. she certainly had her agenda and gotten she's had an agenda and gotten stuff through uh, McCarthy. You know, Monday on Politico, I've been telling this story over and over again on this show and other places. Politico ran a piece. I'm sure it was planted by Republicans that K Street is opening up the coffers to, to because they think the Republicans are going to get power in the House. And and what are they doing? They're buying. The, they're just buying the real estate. So the question is is better. I think is you're right. Is not what his principles are, but who's the next Speaker? What's their vision? And Pelosi had a vision when she was either in power with the with presidency or not, and she was pretty darn good at it, right? I mean, she and, and the Republicans haven't, I don't know, been as good at that. But let me pause, though, and go back. I want to go to Facebook for a minute, because you put on here, you know, what you just said about how you need social media to get on TV and to get famous and all. The problem, the, the, the bigger problem here is that the social media people, they have a position. They're not hiding it really anymore. One of them is open borders or or be open to the the border being you know the border being open is a good thing if you go on and try to be against that i mean they're not even hiding that zuckerberg at least his 419 million dollars that he gave to election authorities he could pretend that i want good elections i'll let people vote Uh, on the on the whole initiative about the border and about wanting cheap labor they're not hiding their position and in fact therefore their participants unregistered lobbyists and really good at it aren't they
2: Well, right. And I I had this crazy thing happen on Twitter today, which is if you type in the name of uh, Zuckerberg's lobbying group, which is called FWD.US, it it automatically gives you a link. I don't want to link to them, but you can't type in their name without linking to them because Twitter is giving them favorable treatment. I mean, that sort of embodies to me the sort of cozy Silicon Valley cartel that's trying desperately to influence the debate. In favor of open borders, and um, it's yeah, like you say, it's, it's it's completely out in the open now.
1: Uh, we're talking with Mickey Kaus again at Kaus Mickey on uh, on Twitter. Also, his Substack is over at. Uh, let me get it right. It's um, uh, excuse me. It's Kaus.Substack.com. Uh, Mickey, you've watched a lot of politics ebb and flow. Uh, right now, uh, what's the conventional wisdom is it's flowing away from the Democrats. However, on their major initiatives the uh, growth in um, uh, immigration, and then the growth in government, th- they're doing that. I mean, they're, they they don't need to have the Congress to do a lot of that. Um, I don't think they'll get the big uh, uh, Build Back Better done now at all, my instinct, but they still have tons of sort of tools in their arsenal. Where's the politics of this go? Is there any way it, it doesn't go the way it looks like it's going?
2: Uh, I, I'm not so confident that they're not going to get a good check of the Build Back Better bill. I mean, they have to sort of pass something, don't they? And and they can't whittle it down to nothing. So uh, it's you think it's just going to collapse? I think that's sort of a, a crippling blow for them if it collapses. Uh, yes, bite. You know, the, you you hear stories about there's infighting in the White House. They realize that the border is a disaster for them, but they haven't done anything. They just, I mean, they're it's infighting with no effect. If you, you, there a story in the Washington Post about the big boys from national security are in charge, not the not the activists who were in charge before, but the big boys haven't changed anything, and Biden's still in letting as many people in as he can uh, so uh right. you're right, he can keep letting him in, but he can only keep letting him in for the remainder of his presidency uh, unless you know they, they, they the parliamentarian lets them include these immigration provisions in the in this bill we're talking about the build back better bill. Most people th- seem to think uh, she won't, but uh you know that's not sure.
1: Uh, We're talking, again, Mickey Cows. But let's do do it like this, Mickey. Let's pretend you're in the White House and you don't care. You figure, I'm not running for a second term, or if you're around him, you think he's not running for a second term, and you say, okay, we're going to lose in 2022. Uh, You can make an argument, uh, I call it the Bart Stupak argument, that just go for it all. And Stupak ended his career voting for the Obamacare, even though he'd been pro-life all those years, and he was thrown out of office, and he got a lobbying job, and he moved on. Uh, And now it's hard to convince you know, 30 or 40 uh, Republicans that they're going to lose their job. I mean, Democrats that they're going to lose their job, any politicians that lose their job. But it feels like where they are, because as you say, you're not going to you're not going to change the trend line now. I mean, absent a war or something dramatic, another pandemic (laughs) that makes everybody change their behavior, it looks like the midterms are getting pretty baked in, aren't they?
3: Uh, That's what
2: it looks like to me. And you know the problem for, is that the the majority is so slim. I mean Joe Manchin is standing in the way, so they have to somehow buy off Joe Manchin, which has never been particularly hard before. Uh, you would right. think they could do it now. Uh, I expect you know in immigration Biden. There there is this parole authority that is lurking in the background. He can do as you say. He can do a lot through his executive authority if he's convinced that he has no future <laughs> as you know running for office right. again. Right. Uh, and and that and that once you establish facts on the ground for uh you know, illegal immigrants suddenly, you know, they can go get work permits and, and you're never gonna take that away. So uh yeah. he, he can he can basically legalize, you know, ten million people. Uh but uh so you're right, there will be some of that. But uh I don't see it's tight enough race, especially in the Senate. I don't I don't see him convincing a lot of Democrats that their career is over and they might as well Make a final act of defiance. Uh, yeah. You know, and politicians uh, uh,
1: don't think uh, like that, do they? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, they don't care. They, they don't know. They don't, you're right. I mean, they don't. Uh... All right, last question. Mickey, you have joined, I think you're like the deputy treasurer, maybe you're the treasurer of the Ann Coulter uh, against Donald Trump caucus. Um, I, I, do you really think there's somebody else that's going to beat Trump, or are you just hoping he doesn't run?
2: Uh, I have no solution to the Trump problem. I think it's. A, I think it is a problem because I think a he might lose, and b I don't really want to live through four more years of this uh, drama. Uh, you know, just I, I. I don't think it's good for his issues. Uh, so, you know, um, I. I don't think anybody can beat Trump now. I think, DeSantis could could easily win election if he was the candidate, and Trump was not on the scene. But Trump will be on the scene. Uh, you know, Trump. He wants attention. He doesn't necessarily want money. He doesn't necessarily want power. Yeah. He demands attention. So that we have to come up with some solution. My solution is uh, some have some billionaire buy Fox News and give it to Trump. And so <laughs> it's all well, yours. I,
1: I, have a, I have a better one. Are, are you ready, Mickey? I have, yeah. I've been trying this out. I think you, 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 give him, you let him be Speaker of the House, and you say you just don't get to run anything. Just go around and be Speaker of the
2: House. But does the Speaker by definition, run things?
1: Well, I mean, the Speaker runs the House, but, you know, I mean, he... Yeah, I mean, I guess so, but he couldn't can't do much with a the President there. I guess it would be, your point is you get all the drama again. just, I just, he'll, I just he, think... Uh,
2: and he'll pick, he'll pick fights and cause, you know, cause... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then division right. and, uh, you yeah. know, he, he's smarter uh, than McCarthy. I'll give him that.
1: Yeah. All right. We got to run. Uh, Mickey Kauss at Kaus Mickey. Thanks, Mickey, as always, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Ed. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, checking in with our old friend, new piece, Economic Populism and Cryptocurrency. And welcome back, Ted. How are you?
3: I'm good. Good to be talking to you.
1: Well, so first, do what I t- do. Answer my wife's question. I was telling her I was going to talk to you about this. I gave her a copy. I had printed it out, and we were looking at the. You know, my notes are all over. She says, "Ed, you know, what is cryptocurrency? Why does it work?" Uh-huh. So go ahead. Uh-huh. Can you explain that to her?
3: Yeah, 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 sure. Uh, so, you know, cryptocurrencies are uh, virtual currencies that are secured right. by what's called cryptography which makes it you know, nearly impossible to counterfeit or you know, double spend. So cryptocurrencies are decentralized networks based on a technology. It's called blockchain technology. It's a distributed ledger that's enforced by disparate networks of computers, lots and lots and lots of computers. So the defining feature, and there are many cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, probably best known, is that they are generally not issued, uh, this is controversial, by any central authority which right. renders them then, theor- theoretically at least, immune to government interference and manipulation. So the takeaway here for my piece, um, I'm taking this yeah. out of the context of a report of the Bank of International Settlements in uh, in Switzerland, who was very critical of, gl- of the anti-globalization move and of cryptocurrencies. The takeaway here is... Right. And I put these in quotations, out of government control, ergo grassroots pothos by definition. This trend, which is going to continue and grow and grow and grow, will eventually put the central banks out of business and lay bare their monetary controls. That's why they're afraid of it.
1: Um, Ted, what back in the day when people, I think it was, it was it. You correct me. Nixon got us off the gold standard, so un, unhooked the American dollar from having to have in a bank, uh, in a vault somewhere, x amount of 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 hard metal to link to it. So you're, it. In, I don't know if this is the right phrase, but it's it, therefore it's it's floating anyway in the sense that the dollar's value is tied to what people believe the American government can do to back it up. And so it's kind of – this is me. I'm not an economist, and you are. The thing with crypto is, is similar, I guess, that people trust the system because they see blockchain is secure. They see it's not being manipulated by a central authority. Is that the psychology? Because – and some of the crypto has gone through the roof, right? Bitcoin and uh, Ether yeah, it's, and yeah. – and, uh, it, It's been yeah. very – Is that the so dynamic?
3: I'll be very, I'd be very uh, honest about it. It, it. It's not something for – you know, every time to can every, or probably for your mother-in-law. It's a very volatile uh, kind of play right now. But more and more people, some entrepreneurs, uh, uh, some companies—not all criminals. You know, that's a castigation of uh, you know the you know the black markets so of cryptocurrencies. But it is a growing phenomenon, and I think it's very significant that the central bankers' union, in effect, this Bank for International Settlements, is afraid of two things. They're afraid of uh, the anti-globalists. They're afraid of economic sovereignty, economic nationalism, populism. But they're even more worried about the growth of cryptocurrencies. Hmm. Um,
1: China banned them, right? The communist regime banned them, which any, anything they ban, <laughs> yeah. I figure, has got to be valuable.
3: Be they banned right? them, right? we yeah. like, yeah. looking into it, yeah. 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 I mean, there is, a, there is a theory out there right now that the central banks would like to get in To cryptocurrencies, you know, blockchain is a technology that's available and take it over themselves and control it and use it themselves and thereby displace all these other competitors. Uh, So we'll see how that unfolds. I think this is something of a phenomenon over the next three to five years. Very interesting to watch.
1: What happens when a guy like uh, Elon Musk picks his favorite? I think it's Doge is a cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he's so influential. People go, oh, good, I'll be, I, I want to be with him. I, is it possible we end up with 100 cryptocurrencies or it, is it likely that you'll have one or two sort of dominant players?
3: Well, I think it's likely you'll have half a dozen to a dozen uh, players, you know, probably some more insignificant ones, a handful of you know big ones. We might know who they are. Uh, even presently, right. but uh, this this is unfolding, you know, it's before our eyes, and uh, right. it's by no means uh, defined yet or certain yet, but it, there's one thing that I can tell you, central bankers are worried. When central banks are, are worried, that gets my antenna.
1: Uh, we're talking with Ted Malik and and one of Ted Malik one of your books is called Davos, Aspen, and Yale, My Life Behind the Elite Curtain. As a global Sherpa. So when I ask you this, at the end of your piece, which it just ran a day or so ago at American Greatness, um you write the the uh, the line, it's in the second left paragraph, that's why I was quoted ad infinitum saying, Davos man is dead. Well, let me ask you, just like I thought, you know, well, Trump had ended uh, the establishment of the Republican Party, and yet here they come maybe screaming back, I don't know, you know there's some of the sounds of it. uh is Davos man really dead, or was his death uh premature? Uh-huh. exaggerated reports of his death well, yeah,
3: I don't know I was quoted a lot. I said Adam Infinito I was on TV a lot for a couple of years saying that line and, and I do believe that you know Davos is floundering, that has beens go there, you know that um you know that it's not a place people want to be photographed anymore. That globalization, in effect, and and, um, global institutions have faltered. Now, is it dead or is it just dying? So we'll leave that open. Mm. And uh, again, something Mm. to watch. Uh, I think even last Tuesday's election gave us a hint as to what's coming. What I'm saying is that economic populism is uh, the necessary antidote and and basically a reality check to excessive globalization and to its global values and all these global institutions. I mean, we talked last week about COP26, another example of that. Central bankers need to be wary. Just because they're in charge of the uh, pretend horn of plenty right now doesn't mean that they will be forever. Things are changing.
1: Uh, We're talking again, Ted Malik. Ted, uh, the Federal Reserve, there is some the conversation every now and then pops up about reappointing the chairman Powell, uh, whether Biden will do that or anything, is the Fed and the Fed is talking about as inflation goes up, they may finally change what they're doing. The the Fed is as dominant as it ever was, right? I mean, it's not like it's disappeared, even though Trump tried to rein it in. I mean, it's still got a dominant effect, right?
3: Absolutely. It basically dictates the rates of interest and and controls the uh, the U.S. economy and its interaction with white uh, like bodies around the world is very, 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 very powerful. And you know, it has been since it was set up. I mean, we could go back to its origins and question whether it should or has been set up in the proper way. I won't go over all those details. But yes, the, the reappointment of either this current chairman or there's the suggestion uh, from people like Senator Warren and those on the further left of the Democratic Party that they really need is a full socialist chairman of the Fed. Now they already had Janet Yellen, <laughs> so maybe maybe that wouldn't be such right. New news.
1: <laughs> right. Well, and that's that. That I guess that's my question: is um, if Trump couldn't limit the Fed, which he really didn't—I I don't think that's in dispute. Certainly, Biden's not
3: right. Oh no, no, it's not his intention to do that. He's a typical liberal Democrat. I mean, I think Trump tried to appoint some people who had different. Uh, A different take on the economy. You know, Steve Moore was, for instance, suggested uh, until there was a scandal. uh, So he tried to put people on the Fed that could, quote, unquote, rein it in. But, you know, it is an all-powerful institution.
1: Yeah. I, I just wonder, you know, when you think about economic populism as it surges and ebbs and flows right now, uh, a lot of the grassroots is steered into the uh, into the admirable fight against CRT and against uh, immigration. And yet, you know, in terms of the follow the money, the economy is controlled, uh, dominated by the Fed. And then the other one I asked, I'm looking at my notes again, Ted, um, world uh, oil supply. Now we're begging mm-hmm. OPEC for, for oil. Um, you know... And yet, in just a couple of years, Trump got us energy independent. Is it that easy for us to get back? I hate to say it. Can we get back on our feet quick? Or, uh, you know, what's happening here?
3: Well, Larry Kudlow went on television yesterday said it could be done in two to three months. Uh, I worship Larry Kudlow. If he says that, I believe him. Uh, all you would have to do mm-hmm. is turn the spigot back on in Texas, Oklahoma, and North Dakota. I would say reopen these pipelines. I, I know that environmentalists don't want that, but... Uh, Yes, the US could be energy independent again in a short duration. It wouldn't be a cackling, laughing matter as our Secretary of Energy Granholm suggested the other yeah. day on a business television show. It's not funny when people's heating oil bills go up 30, 40, 50, 60% and when we're paying in California we're paying well over $5 a gallon. So be thankful for you're paying 330 somewhere else in the country. But uh, it, it really is hitting people that means the working poor, it means the middle-income people, it means families, people that are you know, living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, you know, not, yeah. not the people who are going to Davos, not the people that are eating at the French Laundry either. <laughs> well, and not not the people that are
1: jetting off to uh, uh, gla- uh, um, uh, Scotland to talk Glasgow. about uh, global yep. warming, and uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, all right, Ted Malik as always, thank you uh, again. Your p- the piece is over on uh, American greatness, economic populism, and cryptocurrency. I'll post it up on social media. Thanks, Ted. Okay. All right, we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro America report. Back in a moment.
0: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by opposing radical feminism and representing a traditional conservative perspective in our nation's capital. And now from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly.
4: Today is Veterans Day, a day when we honor the men who have served our country and thank them for their service and sacrifice to defend us. This holiday was originally known as Armistice Day. It was established to remember the 1918 signing of the Armistice Treaty and to honor the heroes of World War I. In 1921, Congress ordered the building of a tomb to honor the men who had given their lives. One unknown American soldier was chosen to be buried in the tomb. When the Navy ship Olympia arrived in Washington with the body of that fallen soldier, America responded, The band played, Onward Christian Soldiers, as the casket was taken to the U.S. Capitol, where the soldier was laid in state. President Warren G. Harding, other government officials, and thousands of Americans paid their respects to this fallen soldier. On the morning of November 11th, this soldier was given a military procession to Arlington National Cemetery and buried in what is now known as the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. This tomb has been guarded around the clock by dedicated servicemen and women since 1948. The honor for the sacrifice of this soldier was evident once again when the guards refused to leave their post during Hurricane Sandy. In 1954, the day was officially renamed Veterans Day by President Dwight Eisenhower to honor American veterans of all our wars. These brave men who are willing to sacrifice their lives for our freedom should be celebrated. So on this special day, when we pause to reflect on the sacrifices made by men and women willing to lay down their lives to protect and defend our Constitution, our freedoms, and our way of life, let us be proactive and prayerful in showing our gratitude.
0: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Whether it's the vision of our founding fathers, the courage of our veterans, the moral compass of Christopher Columbus, or the fortitude of presidents like Lincoln and Reagan, the truth of history should not be undercut by liberal ideology. At Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, we honor history even as we look to the future. Join us at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a
1: Pro-America Report. Well, I'm going to finish today with a little, uh, I don't know what what to call this, kind of an infomercial. But I'm going to float out there an issue that I want you to start thinking about because I can't tell you how important it is. And I don't know yet how it's going to come, how it's going to play out. And it's this. Um... So let me first tell you, my uncle Larry, so my wife's uncle, so we call him Uncle Larry, he's my, by marriage now, he's my Uncle Larry. Wonderful guy, has had a wonderful life, incredible wife. She passed away a few years ago. He was a successful um, businessman, kind of a senior C suite kind of character in a couple different businesses. Uh, when he retired, he started another small business and with his family, just a nice family, a wonderful guy, Uncle Larry. And he's got pretty serious health issues. He was a smoker when he was younger. And so he's, you know, he's towards the end of his life. And my wife has been helping uh, her family, talking about it. And, and, And this is facing a lot of people. I mean, across the country. You get to a point where we're wonderfully blessed that so many of our seniors are living to an older age. And they're living into their 70s and 80s and 90s. But at the end of their life, you have decisions to make. And the system... The re- the money system of Medicare is set up in such a way that hospice, the very end of your life, hospice care, palliative care, call it what you want, is very very lucrative. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean when you get to the very end of your life and you're facing the you know period where the doctor says you've got a month to live or two months to live, you can go on what's called hospice palliative care under Medicare, and and the group that p- treats you is nurses and people that are called to it. It's a real challenge. It's a real Service. I am not. This is, but the money gets paid in a capitated payment. So, if you live for a month, you get a certain amount. If you live for two months, you get the same amount. In other words, you can save money as a business if the person doesn't live so long. Now, you can say, "Well, no one's going to, you know, kill Grandpa, or you know, no nurse is going to allow the, you know, the um, killing or anything." Hopefully, right? If they if they did, it was murder. But the system incentivize, as I tell you, incentivizes with money that, you know, it'd be better, better for you, better for your family, better for the system, if, you know, your life goes. And so you can bet your bottom dollar that, literally, that the system skews towards ending life sooner because there's money in it. And so here's the problem. You get to a point in our America right now, and you have so many people that don't necessarily have a sense of what's coming next, you know, an afterlife, heaven and all. We got lots of people that are materialists that believe just in this body, not in a soul, not... And there's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of inconvenience and a lot of family that has to deal with it. And we have a problem. We have a massive, massive problem that at the end of life, we are not taking care of our elders like we should. And I'm not arguing you should keep somebody alive forever. I'm not arguing that. There's a point where people say, that's enough. I'm suffering enough. This is the end of my life. I'm going to go. But if the values that are driving it are not the family, their faith tradition, their own ethics, but instead Medicare reimbursements and hospice and practicality and convenience, that's a big shift. That's a big deal. And if you're a believer... You actually believe that in times of great suffering can be an opportunity for people who may have not had a chance to choose to follow the Lord or participate in their church sacraments or whatever to come to that and to to not realize that we want to have a conversation about the values that are at the end of life to not realize how pressing this problem is is a huge mistake. It's a huge mistake and it's happening all around us now. It's happening all around us, amazing number of times that people are faced with, um, with this end of life and the decisions and the systems are set up in such a way that they are not, uh, they are not helpful. They're not conducive, in my opinion, for the right kind of values and decisions. So I'm not sure what we're going to do. I'm going to try to get a speaker out. I mean, a guy wrote a book. Carter Sneed wrote a book on bioethics and the end of life, I think it was. I'm going to try to get him on the show. I think this issue is a sleeper issue. It's not a sleeper issue. It's a huge issue in our lives. It's one that hasn't got attention yet. And so I want to introduce it, and uh, we'll come back to it. All right. I want to say thank you, as always, to Noah Dingley, our great producer, and to especially uh, Joanna Spilger for her book and our guests, and you for listening. And we will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on Pro ProMark Report. Talk to you then.